Nearly a century ago, there was a newspaper article. And it was written to a little girl named Virginia. And the, uh, the opening line of that newspaper article, uh, it, uh, it became world famous. And the opening line was this, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. There have been uh, lots of stories that have been birthed out of that. There have been lots of movies, uh, more than one Hollywood movie. The most memorable was uh, the movie A Miracle on 34th Street. Um, and and as, as, as tender of a sentiment as that might be, I want to take a moment, I want to talk to you about the plausibility of Santa Claus. Around the globe today, there are approximately 2 billion children. Santa doesn't visit all of them, of course. You have, uh, if you subtract the number of Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, or Buddhist children, it reduces Santa's Christmas Eve workload to about 15% of that total, or about 378 million children. If you, uh, if you then, you took the average census, the, the, and the average census is 3.5 children per household, and presuming there's at least one good child in each home, Santa must visit about 108 million homes. Are you following the math so far? So what that means, it means that each household um, with, a, with, a, with, a, um, with a good child for Santa to visit that in, th- in 31 hours, visiting 108 million homes, and, and thanks to the different time zones and the rotation of the earth, and assuming that Santa travels from, um, from east to west, he's going to have to visit about 967.7 homes per second. Yeah, that, that means this. It means that each household with a good child, Santa has about one one-thousandth of a second to park the sleigh, hop out, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left for him, get back up the chimney, jump into the sleigh, and get on to the next house. Now, for purposes of our calculations, we're going to assume that each of these 108 million stops is evenly distributed around the earth. So we're talking about a trip about three-quarters of a mile between each household, a trip of about 75.5 million miles, not counting bathroom breaks or, or, or other stops. To cover that, that ground in 31 hours, Santa's sleigh moves at 650 miles per second. That's about 3,000 times the speed of sound. Now, by comparison, the fastest man-made vehicle, the Ulysses, the space probe, it moves around at a pokey 27.4 miles per second. And, and by the way, in case you're wondering, that 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 650 miles per second, the conventional reindeer moves at about 15 miles per hour. Now, the payload of the sleigh, that adds another interesting element. Assuming that each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, which weighs about two pounds, the sleigh must carry over 500,000 tons, not counting Santa himself. Now, on land, a conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds. In the air, even granting that flying reindeer can pull 10 times the normal amount. The job can't be done by a mere eight or nine of them, even if you have one that has a flashing red nose. Santa would need about 360,000 reindeer. Now this increases the payload, not counting the weight of the sleigh, another 54,000 tons. So 600,000 tons, so some of our engineers in the room, you're starting to work with me here, 650,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second, that creates an enormous air resistance. This would heat up the reindeer in the same fashion as a spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. The lead pair of reindeer 
would absorb, I want you to catch this number, 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second each. So in short, they would burst into flames almost instantaneously and they would create a deafening sonic boom in their wake. Now, the entire reindeer team would actually vaporize in less than five thousandths of a second or right about the time that Santa reached his fifth house on the trip. Not that that matters a whole lot, because Santa, as a result of accelerating from a dead stop to 650 miles per second in one one thousandth of a second, would be subjected to, to centrifugal forces. He, he, would, he would have 17,500 Gs of pressure. So Santa would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by more than 4 million pounds of force, instantly crushing his body and organs and reducing him to a quivering blob of pink goo. Yes, Virginia. There is a Santa Claus? Now, if you've seen the movie, the movie acknowledges the difficulties in accepting the idea that, real, that really was a Santa. How does the movie solve the problem? That's right, it appeals to a higher authority. The U.S. Post Office. And, and, and because of this and other evidence, the, the resulting change that took place in the lives of the main characters, that really was the miracle in the movie. And, and the miracle was brought about because they, they found a reason to believe. They found a reason to believe that which was difficult to accept. They, they found the opportunity to embrace the miraculous. Let me talk to you about a different miracle. The idea that a child could be born of a virgin. For some, that seems almost as improbable, unbelievable, extraordinary, mythical as fairy tale as the idea of a jolly guy riding around in a sleigh handing out presents at a rate of one per one one-thousandth of a second. It seems beyond belief. And we tend to struggle this. We tend to struggle with that that we cannot intellectually get our minds around. Now, I'm convinced that this is one of the reasons why God went to great detail to explain his love for you, his love for me, and his plan for mankind. You see, this idea of, a, of, a, of a, a child being born of a virgin, this idea of immaculate conception, this idea um, of, of God becoming man and, and living among us, it would seem far-fetched if it weren't for the fact that Hundreds and even thousands of years before this event happened in Bethlehem, God spoke to people and he had them write down these words, these prophetic words. And what you'll find is you'll find the Bible is divided into two main segments. It's divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you find that sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, there's these statements about the coming Messiah which is who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. And there are these statements about the Messiah that, that are not some random things. And, and, and they're not vague. They're, they're very specific. 
And the fact that, the fact that Jesus met all of these, I want to give you a little bit more math because I've, I've given you a decent amount of math today. Let me give you a little bit more math. If I were to make the statement that it is going to rain on a particular day, the odds of me being correct are one in two. Wouldn't you agree? Because it's either going to rain or it's not going to rain. i got a 50-50 shot. Ask any meteorologist. They will tell you this, that they've got the easiest job on the planet because it's a 50-50 shot. It's going to rain, it's not going to rain. Right? And nobody ever, nobody ever says a thing when they're wrong. Anyway, I digress. So, if, if I say it's going to rain, I've got a, a 50-50 shot. If I say it's going to rain and it's going to be windy, now I've just doubled the odds, right? I've gone from one and two to now one and four. And every time I add another factor, it will double those odds again, right? If I say it's going to rain, be windy, and hail, okay, now, I, now I, it just it continues to double, right? I go to, I, I go to one and eight, one and 16, one and 32, so on. For, for this man Jesus to be born the way he was born, to live the life that he lived, and all of this well documented by historical writers, historical fact, much more documented, documented than anything else that we can find in most any time period. For Jesus to, to meet all of that criteria, it's the, 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 the odd is one in one with 30 zeros behind it. And yet, it's all well documented. I, I, and I, I'm not going to give you all of them. I just, I just want to highlight just a few of them. All right. Matthew 1.23 says this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, this, this, in, in reference to this, Matthew is citing a specific prophecy from Isaiah that happened more than 700 years earlier. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, sh and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay? So what Matthew 1 records is what Isaiah had prophesied 700 years earlier. I'm, I'm convinced, friends, this is the reason why when the angel of the Lord appears to Mary and begins to explain this to Mary, why Mary is willing to walk in agreement with what the angel has proposed. Let's, let's go just a, a little, little step further. Okay, so just as, 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 as foretold, uh, the Virgin Mary, she did indeed conceive and bore a, a son who is called Emmanuel. Okay, now, after Christ's birth, the Magi arrive in Jerusalem. Herod gathers the chief priests and scribes and asks them, says, where's the Messiah to be born? They respond, citing an Old Testament prophecy, pinpointing Bethlehem as the birth, birthplace of the Christ. Micah says this, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod, freaking out over this idea that the Messiah has been born, orders the execution of young boys in, in, in Bethlehem. And that led to the fulfillment of three more prophecies. Jeremiah writes, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Jesus, going with his parents, fleeing to Egypt, is in response to the prophecy Hosea 11. Out of Egypt I called my son. 
Then, the moving to Nazareth, Matthew makes this statement in Matthew 2.23. He says that Mary and Joseph, taking Jesus to Nazareth, happened that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called the Nazarene. You then, if you look at the genealogy recorded in Matthew's first chapter, we discover the fulfillment of several other Old Testament prophecies. Jesus was from the line of Abraham, which is, which is recorded in Genesis 12, Isaac, Genesis 26, Jacob, Genesis 28, Judah, Genesis 49, Jesse, Isaiah 11.1, 1, and David, Isaiah 9.7. This is just a small sampling of the prophetic statements about the coming of the Messiah. As far-fetched as it might seem, as miraculous as it no doubt is, it's a, it's a miracle that God makes sure that mankind can embrace and understand because God tells us thousands of years earlier, over 700 years earlier, this is what's going to happen. And so when it takes place, let this be evidence to you that my word is true and this indeed is Emmanuel, God with us. I want to pinpoint for just a few moments this morning. I want to pinpoint Mary's journey because I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that in the, in the story of Mary, in the life of Mary, what we see is this. Is we see the opportunity for us to understand and embrace the miraculous. Because make no mistake, friend, that Jesus being born of a virgin is not the only miracle that God has ever done. Creation itself is the miraculous. Right? God, God saving mankind from a devastating flood through what he does in the life of Noah is miraculous. David stepping into the battle line and defeating a giant with a toss of one smooth stone, friend, that's a miraculous. Gideon defeating an army that is said to be more populous than the sand on the seashore with 300 warriors. Miraculous. Jesus turning water into wine, feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with one boy's lunch. Jesus rising on the third day. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Jesus' followers walking towards the place of prayer Stopping to talk to a beggar and saying, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Here's what's interesting to me. It's interesting to me, the miraculous doesn't just happen in God. The miraculous doesn't just happen with Jesus. God does the miraculous through us. The word of God says this, you will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. It tells us this, that in the, old, in, 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 the, in the last days, young men will prophesy, will, will speak as spokespeople for God. We live in the day and age of miracles. And yet, tragically, so much of the world is oblivious to it and so much of the church doesn't experience it. 
And, and why is that? If God indeed does save, deliver, and heal, why is it that we don't see more miracles? Well, I think part of that is, if we're not careful, what we can do is we can chase signs instead of chasing the Savior. Right? We can want the miracles instead of the Messiah, and we can lose sight of what God's plan is. But there's something wonderful that happens when we do this. Okay, God, we're going to walk the blueprint that you have for us. We're going to live the life that you have for us. And when we do that, something wonderful happens, something powerful happens, and God navigates. And in those moments when that which defies explanation needs to happen, God says, I don't have a problem with that. And we watch miracle after miracle after miracle. I, I, I will tell you this anecdotally. I, I have seen in my own life, I, I've seen God do things in my life that defy explanation. I have, I have watched as God has miraculously healed. I've watched as God has supernaturally provided. I, there, there, is, there is not a week that goes by that God does not drop some word of wisdom, some word of knowledge into my heart for the moment that I'm in that I know that does not come from somewhere that I've studied. God is in the miracle working business and the miracles happen all around us. We just fail to embrace them and fail to see them. But, but in, in, in the story, in the Bethlehem story of Mary, in the Advent story of Mary, there is there's a lesson for us. There's a game plan to see the miraculous. Well, let me, let me start just real quick with why we, why we so often don't see a miracle. We don't see a miracle because we're... We're afraid of putting ourselves in a spot where it doesn't work well or, or we, don't, we don't look good, right? That fear of criticism. I just imagine that, that fear of criticism. It's the reason why Matthew 1 tells us this. It says that Joseph was a righteous man. He did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. So here's what he was going to do. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's talk about the insanity of the miracle that Mary's involved with. Right? Mary has this, she has this encounter. Right? And, and, And what is that encounter? That encounter is an angel appearing before her and saying, uh, Mary, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do you understand what's happening in front of me? Don't be afraid. And says, listen, Mary, you don't have to be afraid because here's what I want you to know. I want you to know this, that God has chosen you uh, and you are going to give birth to a child. I, I don't think you understand, angel, um, how, how difficult that is. Okay. In the sixth month, Luke, this is in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. There are times in Scripture that I think that it understates. Okay? And here's one of those moments. So 
this young girl, Mary, is just going about life, minding her own business, probably excited about the fact that soon she's going to be married to Joseph. Joseph, Joseph's a catch, right? Joseph's a good guy. He is a righteous man. He's a righteous man, and he's also, he's a righteous man who lives well. Now, a lot of scripture will tell you this, and a lot of historical accounts will tell you this, that Joseph was a carpenter. And while that is true, it's undeniable that he was a carpenter, in, in that time period, in that culture, he was more than a carpenter. He was what would be called a tecton. And, a, and a, a tecton was considered to be one of the most important people in a city, one of the most important people in the community. They didn't just take a hammer and build things. Okay? The tecton is the guy that you would go to and you would go, look, I have this amount of money and I want to build a house. What can I get for this? So the tecton was the architect. The tecton was the engineer. The tecton was the person who put together all of the resources necessary to get your house built. And so as a result, they were considered to be very wise people. They, the, the, the role of a, of a tecton, the role of a carpenter in Jesus' day, it was a, a role of great responsibility and it was a, a role of great respect. So the idea of being betrothed to a tecton the idea of being betrothed, not just to a tecton, but to a guy who walked with character and integrity and is, as, the, as Scripture records, a righteous man. Mary is elated. Life is working out for her better than what she ever imagined, better than what she ever dreamed, right? Her little journal where she's planned out her wedding and all of that, it, 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 it's turning out wonderfully. You know, those times that she's written her name and she's written her name with her married name and not her maiden name and, and now she's almost to that point. Right? This is, this is a great season for her. And in the midst of this, the angel Gabriel appeals and, uh, appears to her and says this, Greetings, you, are high, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I'm, I'm sorry? <laughs> so here's what the next verse says. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Huh? What? Yeah, Mary, you are highly favored. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary's response is priceless. Huh? How will this be? <laughs> I love that. How will this be? This doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's real easy to worry about When we're stepping into a situation that doesn't make sense, it's real easy to worry about, well, what will my family think? What will my friends think? What will my neighbors think? What will my colleagues think? What will my coworkers think? What will people think? I don't want people to think I'm nuts. I, I, you know, I, I know what some of my friends say about those Jesus freaks, and I don't think I really want to be connected to that. 
Especially, it's one thing to be a ch- part of a church. It's another thing to be a part of a church that believes that this is the divine word of God and not just some good book that we follow. It's another thing to be a part of a church that believes this, that if you pray for people, that they'll be healed. It's another thing to be a part of a church that believes this, that God is still speaking today, which it's interesting to me that so much of the mainline denominational church struggles with that because their big guy, their big hero, Martin Luther, Right? In 1517, Martin Luther goes and he tacks the thesis on the, on the wall of the Wittenberg church and says this, that listen, uh, the stuff that the organized church is doing is not good. God's not pleased with it. And, 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 and this is not what God is all about. Right? He then a couple years later writes the Bible in, into German and then makes a statement. He says, you know what? Not only can the common person should be able to read the Bible, but I'm convinced this, that God's still speaking today. That Martin Luther would make that statement in the 1500s and then in 2016 that such a large part of the religious community would go, yeah, I don't believe in that thing about prophecy and and speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues because God doesn't speak anymore because we've already got it all in the book. Martin Luther recognized it 500 years ago. And as improbable as it might seem, the very God of very God, the God that created the universe, wants to speak specifically into your life. Wants to speak to you. And friends, quite possibly, wants to speak to you. Uh, Wants to speak through you. God's got a prophetic word for your classmate. God's got a prophetic word for your coworker. God's got a prophetic word for your neighbor, your friend, your enemy. But we don't move in the miraculous because we're afraid of criticism. We're also afraid of the unknown. And I can understand that. I can appreciate the unknown. Mary was dealing with the unknown. How will this be? Huh? Wow, that doesn't make sense. God wants to do what? His economy says what? His plan for me is, huh? I'll I'll get further ahead if I spend 90% of my money than I will if I spend 100% of my money. Yeah, that, I, I have a hard time of, of grasping that. Then the enemy of our soul come along, Satan. And Satan, Satan means accuser, and he loves to bring accusation and convince us that we're unworthy. And it was real easy for us to get caught up in these issues of inadequacy, right? I cannot tell you how often I talk to people, and they struggle with the idea of being a part of what God's doing because they, they, they don't have a problem with who God is, but they have a real problem with who they are. And friends, before the foundation of the world, God knew you and he chose you. I want you to understand that. Before the foundation of the world, God knew you and he chose you. And God knowing the end from the beginning chose you. And so what that means is this. You think, oh, you know what, with all that I've done, surely God can't still love me. God loved you knowing your end from your beginning. God knew every stupid thing you would do. Every embarrassing thing you would do. Every absolutely foolish thing. Every hellish thing you would do before Jesus was ever born in a manger. And God demonstrated his love for you. God demonstrated his love for me. I am so glad that stupidity does not, does not serve as a disqualifier to be a part of God's kingdom. Because if it was, I would have been disqualified over and over and over again. I've had those moments. 
I, uh, I think I told this story right after I came to the church here, but many of you are new. I'll tell it again. I, when I was in fifth grade, I was living in Fort Myers, Florida, and in, in, in the middle of winter, I ended up um, going to live with my grandparents who lived in Davenport, Iowa. And there was a, a, a boy, a school-age a, a school boy, that lived a few homes away uh, that I had met when I was there the previous summer for summer vacation. So I wanted to go over and see if this boy was home. And uh, so I just got from Florida, it was February, I just got from Florida to Iowa. And uh, so I'd just gone from, from weather like what we're having now to it's cold and it's snowy. And I walk up and, and I knock on the door and nobody's home, presumably because they're in school. And uh, so, but I, I knock on the door and, uh, and there's, there's no answer. And I'm standing there. I am uh, I'm nine or ten years old at this point. I'm standing there, and the door is all frosty and icy. And there was something about it. Don't judge me. Uh, there was something about it that seemed it just it just it just it, it seemed attractive to me. And so, I I touched the door with my tongue. And. And to my amazement, I'm now, my tongue is now, I'm now stuck to the door. <laughs> so here it is. Hello. Hello. Is there anybody home? Somebody has to come help me. I'm, my tongue is stuck to the door. Bring some water or some something. I need some help. Somebody got to. Ten minutes. I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe if I take and rub my hand around, maybe, maybe I can warm up around the, n- n- no. Eventually what I have to do is I have to pull myself off of the, yeah, and there's, there's like, your tongue has layers. And, uh, and the first few layers are there on the door. I'm like, never doing that again. That was a really bad idea. It's not the only time I've done something really silly with this area. I, as an adult, I, I, had, a, I had a sore throat and, and Jody had gotten those, this is um, when our children were younger and Jody had gotten, you know those cheap popsicles that you can buy that are like 400 for a dollar that they're in the, the plastic, right? Those are really soothing when you have a sore throat, right? So I had one, I'm like, oh, these are really good. You know, we can get more. The kids don't need these. I need these. They're medicinal. And I said, I probably, in the course of about an hour and a half, I probably ate 15 of those. Just kind of sucking on them, you know. And just, it was just so soothing. The sides of those are sharp. And when your mouth is numb, you can't feel when you're cutting the sides of your mouth. But once your mouth thaws, that's one of the most painful things I've ever experienced in my life. I've done... I've done much more stupid things. I'm not going to share those with you. <laughs> but that issue, I, listen, we all understand this. We all under the, understand the fear of criticism, the, the fear of the unknown, fear of inadequacy, fear of change. Well, what's this going to do to my life? I hear that regularly. People go, yeah, you know what? I, this idea of being a Christian, yeah, I, 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 this idea of like being sold out to God, yeah, I... I don't want to do that because I, 
here's what I know. I've got friends, they became Christians, and they became different and weird, and I don't want to become different and weird. I don't want to change. Right? And, and, and man, what happens if God tells me I have to go reach the lost tribes in Africa? I certainly don't want that. I don't want I don't want God to I don't want God to speak to me and put me in charge of a disability ministry. You know how much work the cooks have to do? I don't want that. I don't want my life to be changed. I like my life the way it is. I don't want to go to hell, but other than that, I like my life the way that it is. And so that issue, that 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 fear of what other people will think, that fear of criticism, fear of the unknown, that fear of thinking that I don't have it, that I'm inadequate, that fear of changing, it keeps us from, from experiencing what God wants to do. But look at Mary. Mary has the angel Gabriel appear before her. And Mary's greatly troubled. She wonders what kind of greeting this may be. The angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. She asks, how will this be? And the angel answers and says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In fact, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. How do, we, how do we experience the miraculous? Three things real quickly. Number one, God does the miraculous through those who dare to trust his promises. Who dare to trust his promises. My God shall supply all your needs. If there's any sick among you, have, them el- have, have, have the elders pray for you, anoint you with oil. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God will give that wisdom to him, will give that wisdom to her without reproach, as much as they need. The promises of God, the over 7,000 promises in this word. And when we dare to trust God's promises, here's what we find. We find this, that all things do work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, I want you to notice that the angel, I want you, I want you to catch what the angel promises. Okay, are you ready? This is what the angel promises to Mary. First, he greets her. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's the biggie, isn't it? The Lord is with you. Mary's like, what? And the angel says, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you were to give him the name Jesus. He will be called great and he will be the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Right? She asks, how is this going to happen? The angel explains it to her. Her response is, I'm in. And the angel disappears. The angel doesn't say to her, Mary, we're going to protect you from criticism. Right? Now, we understand the stigma of an unwed mother in today's culture. That is nothing in comparison to the stigma of an unwed mother in 
this day. They were stoned to death. she's, She's putting herself at the risk of facing execution. There's no promise that her reputation will be spared. And here's what you can count on. Her entire life, she dealt with the whispers. There she is. Yeah. Do the math. Right? Sure. Sure. Spirit of the Lord came upon her. Spirit of the Lord, my eye. We know what spirit came upon her. Right? You know she heard it. I mean, the whole, the whole time. Okay? I... I the idea, the idea of being a parent is, is, is unnerving enough. The idea of having the responsibility of being the parent for the Messiah? Oh my goodness. But she dared to trust God's promises. Okay, God, I don't know what all of this means. I don't know how this is going to play out in the nuances of my life, but I'm in. And in that, God works miracles through those who dare to trust his promises and with those who decide to pay the cost. Luke 1.38, it, it, it resounds. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. God works miracles through those who dare to trust his promises, through those who decide to pay the cost. Listen, listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Mary's scriptural example is clear. And I will tell you, friend, there is often a cost to the miraculous. Let me say that again. There is often a cost to the miraculous. And Mary was willing to pay that price. God, I'm in. I'm in. If this is, I'm your servant. If this is what you want to do, I'm in. Why? Because she desired to do his will. Listen to what Mary says in the portion of scripture that's called Mary's song. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers in their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary recognized this. She recognized that God is faithful. Because God is faithful. She said, whatever his plan is, I'm in. You can't manipulate God. And you can't bribe him. We've all tried to do it, right? God, if you get me out of this jam... I'll do whatever you want. I'm even willing to go to the lost tribes of Africa, God, if you get me out of this jam. 
Right? We've, all, we've all done it at one point or another. We, we've tried to bribe God or we've tried to convince God. God, this is a really good idea. At 22 years of age, I was offered a very nice job and I tried to convince God that he needed me in corporate America, not in the church. And I, I lost that argument. It, it, you know what? I find this, that pretty much every argument I have with God, I lose. I don't know why. But when, when I finally say, when we finally say, you know, okay, God, not my way, your way. Not my plan, your plan. God, not, not, not my objective, your objective. Here's what happens. God, God shows up in a big way. Um, I want to enclose, I want to, um, this is not something that I normally do. Well, that's not true. It's not something that I regularly do. Um, um, I, I'm going to put, I'm going to put somebody on the spot. Now you're all freaked out because you're wondering who it is. Okay. If I was Ron Conkaby, I'd be worried because it's his birthday and I'd love to pick on people on their birthday. But, um, but I want to put, I want to put Bob and Nancy Spurdy on the spot. Um, it's a wonderful couple, um, and we, we are honored and blessed to have them in our church. Um, Bob has a son who's in the ministry, um, and, uh, and, and, and in the ministry in a startup church, and, uh, and a church that could, that could really uh, use some resources. And uh, um, Bob and Nancy just got Nancy a new car. Congratulations, Nancy. It's about time. Just saying. Um, the, her car is still workable. It's still good. Um, you know what? Logic says this, especially at their age, okay? And uh, Bob does not work outside the home anymore. Um, he, uh, I'm sure he works a lot inside the home. I hope he works at least some inside the home. Um, but, I mean, when you get to that age, you really have to be mindful of finance. And so they were able to get a different car. And um, they certainly could have traded her vehicle in or... Um, put it on Craigslist or whatever and sold it. And there's lots of great places where that money could be used, right? In their own life, supporting the ministry that, they're, that, they're, that their son is involved in. Um, but God told them they were supposed to give the car away. So he sends me this email and says, hey, we need to give this car away. Do you have an idea of anybody? And we knew who the car was supposed to go to. To a single mom in the church who is in desperate need of a new vehicle. Nancy's, Nancy's car is a, it's a RAV4. For a number of years, this is the car that this single mom, she's dreamed of having a RAV4. You didn't know when you bought that car. That God planned to bless a single mom with it. You didn't know when you made the decision to give it away. That this is a car that this woman's wanted for years. Did not know that. That is a modern day miracle. Make no mistake, you guys are a part of a modern day miracle. And, and when, we, when, we, when we put ourselves out there and we say yes to God, right? don't, don't, don't follow conventional wisdom. It's amazing what God will do.
Trust his promises. He keeps them. He keeps every one of them. But recognize this. The walking in those promises, always, it always doesn't come at a place of convenience. In fact, oftentimes, it will come at a cost. But at the end of the day, God, my life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. So whatever you want to do, I'm in. Here's what I want you to know. God wants to work miracles in you and through you. He is still in the miracle working business. Santa Claus, man, I hope for some of you that I didn't spoil it for you. (laughs) I really don't. I'm just saying it's improbable. I'm not saying it's untrue. You reconcile that. You reconcile the sonic boom however you want. But can I tell you a miracle that you can believe in? God was birthed through a virgin girl who dared to trust God's promises. Who said, I'm willing to do it whatever the cost. Because here's what I know, I want to be in your will. And the God who worked the miracle and Mary wants to work a miracle in you.